All right, we've got a slew of text messages that have come through here that we haven't had a chance to get to yet, so here they go. And, of course, if you'd like to have your say, we'd love to hear from our listeners. Please do send through a message and we will share it here on Faith FM. Oh, also, send through questions of the day. Yes, I think our backlog is empty, Mm. so it's time to get busy, start coming up with those questions and send them through. We'd love to answer your questions. All right, Instagram grilling, the CEO and top management is not enough. In Instagram, the grilling of the CEO and top management is not enough. They knew exactly what they were doing. It's not only a love of money but the destruction of children. They should be jailed. Parents must take responsibility and should be given an app to be able to control what the children can do on their mobiles, etc. I disagree. What are your thoughts? I disagree. Oh, you disagree? I disagree. Okay. Um, I, I agree. So this, this is my perspective. This is my perspective. Yes. Um, just, okay, the people should be thrown in jail. Um, I personally, mm. I can't blame Instagram in the internet age, in the social media age, for wanting to make money. No. And it's not illegal to do that. No. Um, I see what you're saying. So they actually haven't committed a crime. In in my in my they opinion, they haven't broken the law because they've put like if, if anyone has done it, it's been Instagram. Like in terms of their personal research of knowing it's bad for children or whatever, but from, it's immoral. It's immoral, but, but from not a, illegal. But from a legal perspective, um, yeah, there's no there's no precedent. There's no legal precedent for throwing them. In jail, and to be honest, nor do I think they they should be because they're a company trying to make money within the legal framework that exists. Yes. My perspective is that the obviously as well, um, there are bad things that have happened on Instagram because of privacy issues and all those kinds of things that they need to monitor and take care of. But the onus at the end of the day, when it comes to child safety on the internet, is with the parents. Like that's very, okay. It's the person committing crimes on the internet in terms of trying to groom children or whatever. Yeah, like responsibilities with them, and that's illegal, so they should be prosecuted. Um, but also, it's a parent's responsibility to oversee what their children do on the internet so that they don't end up in that situation. Um, and yeah, you know, for Instagram. Are they responsible? Because actually, you know. Okay, so should we make this a legislative issue, though? Mm. You know, but, because because as you say, what you what you rightly point out, there's no law that's actually been broken here. That's right. In fact, there. But are, should we make it a law? Because I mean, that's what government is for: is to make good laws to protect the community. From a legal and, and particularly in a, in the copyright space, but also in the space of like child grooming and endangerment and all that stuff, Instagram is legally. Like according, this is a law that they made for social media. Is they're legally not responsible for what what takes place. Mm. Like yes, they have they have uh, they are, are compelled to respond to when illegal things hap- happen, but they are not. Instagram itself isn't legally responsible when someone does something illegal on their platform because you know they've made a privacy policy. They've made a you know a TOS, a terms of service. Um, if people break those okay, Instagram has to step up and, and take action. But, you know, if someone breaks the law through breaking their TOS um, and Instagram steps up and actions against them and removes that person and gets them prosecuted or whatever. But, yeah, it's not Instagram itself. It's not the CEOs who are legally required to, you know, who are, who are legally at fault. So I think that at the same time, is it moral what Instagram is doing? 
you could say yes or no, but at the end of the day, I feel like there is a real responsibility for parents to decide, okay, should my kid be on Instagram or not? It's an interesting discussion. We probably shouldn't spend all morning talking that's about right, it. That's right, that's, right, that's right, Bible that's study. right. But uh, the point has been made while we've been having this discussion, is it legal to destroy children? What does God say about this? You know, I think that there right. is, um, I, I think that there's some really important things we need to consider here. And I, I take your point that the most important thing we need to do is actually be parents. That's right. You know, that's where it starts. Understand what's yeah. going on. Be a parent to your children because there is no law. There is no, there's certainly no social media that's going to be out there to protect your children. Mm. And the easy way for children to be protected from social media is to not give them screens. <laughs> that's right problem solved you know i really feel that too i i have a big responsibility in my life to be a, a good parent to my non-existent kids uh <laughs> you need to be a, a good parent in planning so you need to be planning for your, you know and and what i would encourage all parents the rule that i would encourage all parents to make is first of all don't give your kids a smartphone they can you, you want to give them a phone so that they can be in contact with you fine that's a great idea mm. give them a dumb phone you know, give them a burner phone. It's yeah. going to cost you 30 bucks, but And they can make phone calls on it. Yeah. And they can talk to people. That's right. Um, don't give them that. Then the second thing, and it's not going to protect them, I know, because all of their friends at school are going to have smartphones. There's only so much you can do. But the second thing that you can do is to have a rule at home of no screens anywhere other than the living room. Yep. Um, you know, also, like, it's a, a decent thing to, you know, don't wrap your kids in cotton wool. Have conversations with them about yes. the dangers that they're going to face. Absolutely, absolutely. Like that's a that's a super positive thing. Like because for for me and my you know my parents aren't Christian and we came into the internet age and I was just like free reign. I could do whatever yeah. I want. Thankfully though, my parents were good enough to you know give me some kind of advice. I had decent perspective on on what was going on on the internet. But like yeah, from the time I was like eight, nine years old, I, I could use the computer freely by myself, which isn't the best thing because, I, you know, I was exposed to a lot of stuff. But and I, I was a parent during ex- that era. Yeah. And as a parent, I think that to a large extent, we were caught off guard. Yeah, they just didn't know. Like, my parents didn't know. Thankfully, there was conversations that they had with me of like, oh, watch out for this, don't do this, don't do this. And, yeah. and so, you know, I could, I had a good perspective in that sense. But yeah, it's, it's ever increasingly easy for kids to be exposed to things that they shouldn't be exposed to. So I think that those conversations should be had and those rules should be put in place. And there's so much more information out there now than what there was before so that parents mm. can actually be parents and have a reason to be parents rather than making some of the silly mistakes that we made back as we were kind of feeling our way through the beginnings of the digital age. Mm. All right, intolerance against Christians, how sad uh, that when you consider the history of most of these countries were responsible for the Reformation, how times have changed. But again, uh, throughout history, Protestant Christians have been persecuted by the Catholic Church. The Jesuits have many faces. Uh, COVID vaccines in hospitals, have you ever considered why so many doctors and nurses refuse to be vaccinated? Uh, in Australia, thousands of nurses have left their jobs because of it. Do they know something that the health department is not telling us? Question mark. I don't know. Are we ever going to wake up? Um, whenever force is used, it won't be from God. Jesus died on the cross to give us the choice and freedom of conscience over our lives and bodies. It is interesting. I do know a lot of nurses who have left their jobs because they don't want to take the vaccine. Mm. And... A number of doctors, um, which is, yeah, I put just personally myself. Mm. Anyway, many families have been destroyed by parents sticking their noses 
where it doesn't belong. From the beginning, God commanded uh, the children to leave home and yes. move on and start a new life. Amen. Uh, apart from mum and dad. God knew what he was doing. Parents' job is to love them and help them and be there whenever they need us, but never to rule their lives. Privacy, privacy is so important for newly married couples. Mm. My in-laws were a perfect example of this previous statement, which I meant to... Oh, yep. yep. Unfortunately, I lost my parents over 40 years ago. That's sad. Oof. My in-laws always minded their own business only, and we had a great relationship. That's mm. fantastic. It's really good when you've got good in-laws. Mm. Um, and finally, there are the Ten Commandments. That is the moral law by which we will be judged. Mm, that's right. Okay, those are our text messages for this morning. Let's jump into our Bible study, and our Bible study is going to start in Second Kings chapter twenty-two. Oh, nice! Oh, we co- we read through this early in the week. You did. You've done this already. Yeah, the whole chapter. We looked at Josiah, right? Yes. We'll, we'll have a look. Maybe no, there's something there to can, be gleaned. We can, we can skip over this. Let's go to Jeremiah chapter 1 instead. Okay. If you've already done, if you've already done this, <laughs> this passage, let's go to Jeremiah chapter 1. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. I was just thinking, you know, as people were talking about, their, you know, leaving their parents and being separated, being with your wife. Like, that's obviously what I want to do because I'm so much smarter than my parents. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Right? When you're 23 years old, you are infinitely smarter than your parents. That's right. By the time you I know way more than 30 them. years old, you'll be amazed at how much your parents have learned <laughs> in that short space of time. <laughs> that's so awesome. All right. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 1, starting in verse 1, the Bible says, These are the words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, one of the priests from the town of Anathoth, um, the land of Benjamin. The Lord first gave messages to Jeremiah during the 13th year of the reign of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah. Ooh, this is the connections here. We covered okay. this on Monday. Okay, all right. So let's, let's talk about the connections that you covered on Monday. Fill us in. So, uh, Hilkiah... Yes. He's the high priest. Yes. And he is ministering to the Lord, you know, under under the Lord. And he is the person who finds the book of the law in the sanctuary. Why was it lost? Because they just were following idols. And that's like when you read about Ammon here, uh, Ammon was just like, just, you know, it's, it's a classic king's summary. It's just like. Ammon was the son of this person, and 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 actually his mother was this person, which was which was cool. It mentions that as well. Um, and he did a few things, um, but he followed in the way of his fathers and worshipped idols and died. So that's yes. a- that's Ammon, and that is a majority of the kings before him. So they're just like worshiping idols, not keeping up with the word of the Lord. Josiah comes along, and it says he's a faithful king who wants to serve God. And he puts in a bunch of reforms, and they're trying to be, rebuild the temple and do all these different things. And at that time, Hilkiah brings him the book of the law. Okay, so let's let's let's, let's look at this and, and let's put ourselves in these in these kings' shoes for a moment because it is very fascinating. You've got this situation where, and, and I want you to imagine this for a moment. Mm. You've got Josiah, mm-hmm. who has come to power as king, and he wants to serve God. He doesn't actually really know how. Yeah, there is a temple there. And there are some people who do remember the services of the temple, but there is not a single copy of the Bible in existence Mm. that is known of. Mm. And moreover, nobody has seen a copy of the Bible for literally 
generations. Yeah, hundreds of years. So if he's going to if he's going to restore the worship of God, then to restore the worship of God, he's going to have to, you know, kind of do it by memory, by mm. by okay, well what do you remember about how to operate the sanctuary? What do you, you know, he's got to he's got to reconstruct the whole thing from scratch. Yeah, that's right. So he begins by restoring the temple. Temple is full of rubbish. It's been used for idolatry. Um, it has been neglected for many, many generations. And he's like, okay, let's clean the place out, and then let's start to try and figure out how do we actually use these things. Mm. You know, how do we use the altar of incense? How do we use the seven branch candlestick? How do we use the table of showbread? How do we use the ark of the covenant? You know, well, there was probably not an ark of the covenant there at that particular time. We don't know. Uh, but you know, how do, how does all of this work? Yeah. And so he's 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 got builders, he's got tradesmen, and they are working on this. And in the process of working on it, they discover a copy of the Bible. Yes, that's pretty wild. Mm. And of course, this is an era in which you had scribes. Now, a scribe's job uh, was his area of expertise was that he was literate. Mm. He could read. He could read. This was an era in which kings were illiterate. Mm. You know, the highest levels of society, people were illiterate. Literacy was something that was reserved for the literate class. Yeah, that's Very, right. very few people. And so Hilkiah, the high priest, he finds this book and it's like, what is this? And so he hands it to Shaphan the scribe and Shaphan is somebody who's literate so he can go and read it. So he takes it home that night and he reads it. Mm. And he's like, wow, I found a copy of the Bible. Mm. Nobody knew it existed. We can now reinstate the services of the worship of God. We, we now have a formula by which we can go. And so he takes it home and he reads it. And then, of course, he comes into the king the next day and he's like, found this book. Mm. And so he reads it. And the king gets really Very emotional, worried about it. Yeah. <laughs> because it's the book of Deuteronomy and there are lots of blessings and cursings in it. Yeah, that's right. But imagine a, imagine a world in which there was only one copy of the Bible and it was lost. Yeah, and and they just have not like they just have. Uh, yeah, I could I could. It's so easy to imagine like how idolatry just continued for nation after nation after nation. And this is something that we touched on on Monday when we covered the story of Josiah. It's like obviously God was working in that space because Josiah was a follower of God without the Bible, which is insane. Like, how do they how do they remember God? How do they know God? Um, he's a follower of God without the Bible. And so God is really working in that space, and he's given every king up to that point the opportunity to follow him, none of which have taken them. But, yeah, it's also, you know, the king's supreme responsibility when kingship, you know, became a thing in Israel to have the book of the law and to read it, like, every single day so that you could know how to guide and instruct your people in terms of, yeah, morally, you know, how to judge cases as the king. You were also the judge in Israel. Like, all these different functions that aren't possible without the book of the law in front of you. And so now, finally, like, he receives it, he reads it, and, you know, the Bible says that he tears his robe. And, and Robert made a really good point when he was in here. It's like he's ter- tearing his robe in the sense of, like, he's feeling so unworthy, so unclean. He's like, remove everything from me. I'm not, I'm undeserving. Like, we have strayed so far from God, and we are in desperate need to come back to him, you know, after they read the book of the law for the first mm, time again. Mm, mm. So, yeah. 
Good it's stuff. a wild story. Okay, the other thing that is amazing about this story is that this is the time period in which Jeremiah begins his ministry. Yes. And he's going to have a fairly lengthy ministry. He's going to end up in Egypt as a result of his ministry. Uh, he's going to minister under Josiah and then all the way through until the Babylonian captivity. Mm-hmm. But he begins his ministry with the discovery of the book of the law. Yes. All right, I want you to hold that thought. Jeremiah begins his ministry with the discovery of the book of the law, with the discovery of the one and only copy of the Bible that there was. Mm. Okay, so hold your finger here in Jeremiah because we're coming back to it, but go to Deuteronomy chapter 4, and we're going to read verse 23 to 29. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 23 to 29. The Bible says here, So be careful, do not break the covenant the Lord your God has made with you. Do not make idols of any shape or form, for the Lord your God has forbidden this. The Lord your God is a devouring fire, he is a jealous God. In the future, when you have children and grandchildren and have lived the, in the land a long time, do not corrupt yourselves by making idols of any kind. This is evil in the sight of the Lord your God and will arouse his anger. Today I call on heaven and earth as witnesses against you. If you break my covenant, you will quickly disappear from the land you are crossing the Jordan to occupy. You will live there only a short time, then you will be utterly destroyed. For the Lord will scatter you among the nations where only a few will survive. There, in a foreign land, you will worship idols made from wood and stone, gods that neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. But from there you will, be, you will search again for the Lord your God, and if you search for him with all your heart and soul, you will find him. Okay, so imagine Josiah reading this. Mm. You know, and it's talking about, uh, you know, if you... If you uh, Forget the covenant of the Lord which he made with you. And you go and worship idols. And, it, you know, and it talks about, you know, several generations down the track. And, and you know, you, you do all of these terrible things. You know, I call heaven and earth to witness against you this day that you will utterly perish from off the land where you've gone over Jordan to possess it. And so Josiah is reading this and he's like, have we forgotten the covenant? Yes. <laughs> have we forgotten the covenant for generations? Yes. Have we worshipped idols? Yes. Have we worshipped, you know, wood and stone and a rock? Yes. We've done all of this. And God said that if we do this, we're going to perish out of the land. And Josiah's like, you know, you can just see his mind blowing because he just set about to restore the worship of God. That was all that he started to do. But suddenly now he realizes that they're on the brink of national disaster. That's right. And if he doesn't do something decisive right now, then national disaster is going to completely overtake their nation. Not only that, but he can see it from a political perspective because he can see, you know, he's he's squeezed between the Assyrians and the Egyptians, two Mm. rival superpowers, and he's in the middle. So you can see very clearly how disaster could come to the Jewish nation at this particular time. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Okay, so Raphael's texted through and to say, at present we are told that there are 5 billion Bibles in circulation today, and yet true Christianity is as rare as King Josiah's day without the Word of God. Oh. So, um, yeah, that's... it's it's We've gone from one extreme to the other, haven't we? Mm. Uh, but 
Things haven't changed that much. So coming back to King Josiah's day, we've got King Josiah and he's reading the Bible for the first time. He's reading all of the blessings and the cursings here. Well, he's reading all of the things, you know, you can understand him reading through chapter 4 here and all of the terrible things that will come upon upon, upon his people and he recognises that, you know, they are standing on the verge of national disaster. That's right. King Josiah's reign ended in 609 BC. Yes. Like this is like literally two years, three years before... Israel would in Jerusalem and Judah would be like totally destroyed. Yes. So yeah, he's like looking at the situation and the you know the the political movements would have already been taking place because you know the world back then was I think slower than the world is today and we can see probably I would say like maybe thirty years before a, a war or a tragedy we can see nations coming under dispute or rising up or whatever it may be. Yeah, they've been seeing for probably you know. 100, 200 years the way that this has been working and the fact that, oh, man, we're in a tough political situation here. And King Josiah is now making the connections. He's like, oh, it's because we left God. (laughs) Whoops. (laughs) He is. He is. And you can imagine how discouraging it would be to read down through this. And, you know, the, you're the, you're a new king. And as the new king of a nation, you want to do a good job and you want to see your nation prosper and do well. And suddenly you realize, actually, my nation is condemned. Mm. We're, we're wrecked. God says he's going to send us into captivity. And I'm looking around and I'm like, don't know whether it's going to be Egyptian or Assyrian or Babylonian, but it's going to be one of them. Mm. And the world is in absolute turmoil uh, at this particular period, uh, the Assyrian Empire, which has you know dominated for so many centuries, is about to collapse. You've got uh, Egypt that wants to rise to power. You've got the Babylonians who want to build their own empire. You've got the Median Empire that is you know saber rattling. All of this is taking place around Josiah at this particular time while he's reading this prophecy for the first time. That it's like, yep, you guys are going into captivity. And then you can imagine when he gets down to verse 29. Let's read verse 29. Where the Bible reads, But from there you will search again for the Lord your God, and if you search for him with all your heart and soul, you will find him. Okay, so you read down through this and you suddenly realize, yes, we are going into captivity. Mm. Because of our idolatry. This is what the Bible has prophesied. But then you read this verse and you suddenly recognize Okay, we're going into captivity, but there is hope. Mm. And so when the captivity came, it kind of went two different directions. You had uh, those who were taken captive by Nebuchadnezzar who were taken to Babylon. That's right. You had those who escaped and joined the Egyptian cause and went down to Elephantine Island in Egypt. Mm-hmm. Ezekiel went with the Babylonian captives to minister unto the, minister to them. He was kind of like the chaplain for the Babylonian captivities, and he was there to remind them, yes, you're in captivity, you've been dispersed, just like the ten northern tribes were, and they all disappeared, and now it's happened to you. But if you stay faithful to God, he will restore you. Mm. You've got Jeremiah who's gone down into Egypt. He's gone the opposite direction with a whole bunch of Jewish mercenaries and so forth that had supported the Egyptian cause. And he's living down there on Elephantine Island. He's ministering unto them. And he also knows about this book of the law because I'm pretty sure that Shaphan the scribe, when he recognized that there was only one copy of the Bible left in the world, would have set about to make a few more copies. That's right. Probably has a copy of this. Let's go over to Jeremiah now, chapter 29 and verse 13. Oh. 
Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 13. And while you're turning there, let me read to you again uh, from Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 29. The Bible says, But if from there you shall seek the Lord with the Lord your God, you shall find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. So Jeremiah, he's down there with uh, the Jewish diaspora in Egypt and they're kind of pretty discouraged and they're like, you know, we're done. Mm. We might as well just become Egyptians, just stay here, start a new start a new life. It's over. Mm. Jeremiah knows this because he's read this in the book of the law. What does he say to them in chapter 29 and verse 13? Well, it's almost a direct quote because he says, if you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. Okay, and this is the message that Ezekiel and Jeremiah had to carry to the captives. Mm. This is temporary. God will hear your prayers. Josiah turned the nation around, and because of Josiah's faithfulness, God is going to hear your prayers. He's going to restore you. You're going to go back to the promised land. Mm. And that's what exactly what he says in verse 14, like where it reads, I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will end your captivity and restore your fortunes. I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you, and I'll bring you home again to your own land. As a remarkable experience that they have, typically what happens in these kind of situations, you know, as we've seen it in, in the... Uh, you know, in, in so many similar situations, when you have a nation that is sent into exile as a nation, mm. they start new lives and you get 40 years down the track, you get 70 years down the track, they've lost their national identity. Mm. They're three or four generations into the culture that they have moved to. Mm. I mean, you think about somebody who has immigrated to Australia 70 years ago. They've now passed away unless they were, you know, a very young child. And if they were a very young child, they're an Aussie now. That's right. You know, you think about you think about the people that you know who are, say, in their 80s who arrived in Australia when they were 10. Mm. Would you pick them as being different from any other Australian? Dude, I have a friend. He's like 20. Yes. He came to Australia when he was 10 from the Philippines with his Filipino family. Yes. They're all living here, and so they cook Filipino food at home and, like, all that stuff. But he has an Australian accent. Yeah, like he's an Aussie. Like he plays Aussie as they come. He plays rugby union with the boys. He lives out in Singleton, which is like the country. Yep, he's he's an Aussie. Like it's so quick. Like he's Filip- Filipinos live everywhere. Yeah, but you go anywhere on the planet, you're going to find Filipinos. Filipinos. But <laughs> it's he's the best thing ever. he's just full assimilate assimilated. Yeah, that's like right. he's Australian. And that's in Ten years. Yeah. So you imagine how assimilated they were after forty years or after seventy years. Yeah. And uh, okay, you think about somebody who. You know, it was taken captive when they're 10 years old, mm. 70 years down the track, and there's an opportunity to go back to the to the land of Palestine. What memories do they have? Yeah, it's like I live here. I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not have, Jewish. Yeah. You have children there. You have grandchildren there. You have great-grandchildren there who were all born in this new country and have assimilated into this new country. But God says, no, I'm going to bring you back. Mm. And this is exactly what happens. They stay faithful because of the ministry of Jeremiah and because of the ministry of Ezekiel and because Jeremiah and Ezekiel keep encouraging them like, no, stay faithful, God will restore you. Mm. And because they stay faithful, God does restore them and they do go back. Where, wow. do you have, where do you have something similar to that in ancient history? It's just absolutely a remarkable story. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. 
But right now it is time for Question of the Day. All right, question of the day, Lyle, are you ready? Yes, I'm ready. Let's go for it. Is and this is related to, you know, kind of what we've been covering today about Instagram and whatnot. Is the internet God's making or is it a tool for Satan for the end time? Yeah, that's a really good question, and there's some biblical principles that we need to apply, so let's do that. Uh, First of all, when we look at the internet, we use the internet every single day to present the Word of God. The reason that you're listening to this radio show is because it is provided to you by the internet, and you're thinking, no, it's not, I'm listening to it on air. The way it works is that there is, uh, we sit here in a studio in Newcastle where we present the breakfast show and we present God's Word on the breakfast show. The signal then goes from Newcastle via the internet to uh, to Melbourne in Victoria, which is where the head office is. From there, the signal goes out to 150, 160 different transmitters right across Australia and also out to the vast satellite system and also out through the app and also out through the web page and also out through TuneIn Radio. Um, it goes to all of those places via an internet signal. Now, I know that there are some um, Elpon radio you know, networks, etc., that use a satellite system to do that. We don't use a satellite system. We use the Internet. And so we're spreading the Word of God using the Internet. When we do the N.digital, of course, you know, that's a completely global program. We advertise it locally, but it goes globally, and we get responses from every continent on Earth and a bunch of the islands and so forth. Um, different archipelagos and whatnot, and that's you know all by using the internet. So the internet can be a tremendous power for good. It can also be a tremendous power for evil. And like all good things, it gets used for more evil than it does used for good. Uh, so let's apply some principles to it. In First Peter chapter two and verse nine, the Bible says, "You are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation, a special people that you should." Show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into this marvelous light. And so the first thing that we've got to remember when using the internet is that we have been called to be a special people, a holy nation. In First uh, John chapter 2 and verse 15, the Bible says, Love not the world, uh, neither the things that are in the world. Let me just read it for you. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And the internet is largely all about the love of the world. We use it for good things, but the vast majority of material on the internet is all about the love of the world. In Second Corinthians, let's go over to Second Corinthians very quickly. Second uh, Corinthians, let's look at some uh, some more Bible principles over here. Uh, chapter 6 is where we are going to head to Second Corinthians uh, chapter 6. And notice what it says in verse 17. Wherefore, come out from the world, come out from among them, and be you separate, says the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. The Bible says don't touch anything that is unclean. There is plenty of unclean on the Internet that we should avoid as Christians. In Romans chapter 1, the Bible says, and 1 and verse 2, the Bible says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. God calls us to holiness. And then it continues on, it says, And be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of the word, by the renewing of the spirit. And so when we read these passages here, the Bible says, don't be conformed to the world, 
be transformed, okay? How are we transformed? How is a person changed? A person is changed by what they look at, what they focus on, uh, where their attention is. And we find the principle right here in Second uh, uh, Corinthians chapter 3, if we go back there, and in verse 18 it says, But we all with open face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. How are you changed? You are changed by beholding. Finally, in Second Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 20, the Bible says that now then we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. The Bible says we are ambassadors for God. We are representatives of the government of heaven, and as such, we have a responsibility to live as representatives of the government of heaven, which means that is going to affect how we interact on line in the online space Uh, we also want to remind you that as you go through your day to talk faith to live faith to act faith and you will grow strong in jesus christ For being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1 800 Faith FM.